Hey, Mike. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? Um, better than it's going with you, I guess. How's it going? Oh, okay. Uh, sorry about the audio. I'm in my car in a parking lot of a Starbucks. <laughs> it doesn't sound a whole lot different. Little different. You won't like it because you're like an audiophile, but yeah, it'll it's be just, okay. It's just earbuds uh, and a laptop. Yeah. And a Wi-Fi from a Starbucks parking lot. Well, that's uh, inventive. You did good. So Michelle is in a big fire. That's why we're late. I'm just really, like, horrified for you. I saw the picture that you put up just a minute ago on Twitter, too. It's, um, that's that's your view? That, like, well, that was the night of it. Well, sure. Right. Not, like, ten minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, so it was like a regular night. It was what Sunday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night. Right? Because we do our podcast Monday usually. We do. Yeah. So you had already watched Halt and everything because it comes on Saturday. Oh, yeah, I was all ready to go, and I was. Right. I went to you know I was like ten thirty. It was really okay. So here's the story. It's super windy. It's like wow, that's pretty windy. That's that's unusual. It's kind of neat actually. So I went out and like sat on my deck and like really warm wind. Like wow, it's kind of cool. You know, really windy. And so you know I went to bed about twelve thirty in the morning, and. um Fell asleep and woke up and the wind is just like raging wind, like wind like you never heard before. And I'm like, wow, this is like dangerous wind. Like maybe the roof's going to blow off the house or I better go take a look. So I go outside and on the deck again and I look and it's like still pretty, you know, it's warm and it's just interesting. It's not scary or, and there's no fire or anything, just super windy, like really strong, gusty wind. So um I go back to bed, <laughs> and, and now it's like, what, one thirty, two o'clock. I get a pounding on my door from my neighbor. You got to get the hell out of here. Look. And he points to the mountains, and you can see off in the distance. I live on the, I live in Santa Rosa, California, in Sonoma County, right on the edge of a mountain. And on the, on the mountain behind it, you can see a glow, like a red glow. Still super windy in this red glow. He's like, this fire's coming. You got to get out of here. And he packs up his whole family and he leaves. And I'm like, I don't blame okay, him. you know, it's kind of windy and it looks like there's a fire, you know, freaking 20 miles away. So I'm going to see how things develop here. <laughs> so I didn't go back to sleep. There's no way you can go to sleep thinking of fires on the way. So I kind of sat on my deck and watched it and it and it got brighter and it grew up over. It came to the top of that mountain. And then I think the picture I posted, you can actually see the flames of it. Right. So you can, so it crests the mountain, it comes down the other side, like kind of towards me, but then it stayed, it stayed a little bit to my north and it, and it went past me. So it went, you know, I'm, I'm west of it. It went farther west past me and it went into all the neighborhoods of Santa Rosa and it blew all the sparks and caused all the problems. So luckily it missed me, but it went past me. So, um, but the power went out, no internet, and, you know, that was since Sunday night. Now it's Wednesday, about 10.45 here on Pacific time. So, so yeah, so that's where we were. And then, um, you know, fire doesn't just go, doesn't just like a hurricane comes and goes and then it's gone. Fires like lingers like it's so it's there now. Even today they're, they're evacuating people because it's like, simmering and smoldering and winds are supposed to pick up again today so they may, may move more people around but i don't know it's just really freaky 
it's really freaky. So all the people left, you know, me and this other girl in my apartment stayed. So we were talking for a while, but you know, people just bugged out. So now because the power's been out for like four days and the night there's these eerie alarms, like your, when your smoke alarm, some smoke alarms are wired into your AC. So you always have power to it. Right. right. So now the power's been out and like you hear this dude, like this faint, the faint eerily enough smoke alarm, ironically enough, you know, going off for, from people's houses that haven't had power. And they're just, there's just like tree branches blowing around and there's, there's weird clusters of like motorcycles and horse trailers parked in Safeway parking lots where people, you know, they moved all their stuff away from their house and parked it. And, and so it just looks sure. really weird. There's people wearing like those air quality masks. <laughs> Uh, in broad daylight and there's people just looking and wandering around it's just weird it's really weird and so like half the city that had no fire danger has no power so that's always weird i mean it's like a it's like a view of a major catastrophe like if there was a nuclear war or something this is probably what it would look like so i don't know nature's pretty powerful man yeah, I mean, you're talking about something being, you know, 20 miles away. I don't know a lot about fire, wildfires. We're really, typically really wet here. It's damp and a lot of moisture and stuff like that. We don't have a lot of problems with that usually. Last year, we did have some wildfires for the first time. can really remember in my lifetime significant and the air quality. Of course, we're in a valley. I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the valley... It, it, the air quality was terrible. It was really, really bad. Uh, but we don't have that much wind. And I, I'm, I'm picturing like, okay, the fire is 20 miles away, but how long does it take that wind to go 20 miles? And that's all it would have to do, right? It's like pick up a flame and move it. I mean. Well, it was 70 mile an hour gust, so. Embers. I mean, that's like hurricane. That's like 15 almost. minutes if, if it's 70 miles an hour, 20 miles, you know, whatever. Right. 20 minutes. I mean, that's scary. That's really, really scary stuff. And I couldn't believe it when I saw the pictures and stuff that you sent. I hate it that we're late, but I mean, of course, you know, I mean, safety and all that. And I really wish. <laughs> so it's an interesting, it's an interesting journey to try to find power and internet. Like you always think, okay, I'm power's out at my house. I'll just go to Starbucks or I'll go to Pete's or what, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'll go somewhere where there's power and I'll just get their Wi-Fi. So all these, there's like no power everywhere, anywhere. And like even, even some malls that had like a Starbucks, the Starbucks was closed. Like weird, like you'd think they'd be open for people, right? You got power. There's no fire danger. Why well, just open up? But I don't know. I don't know if they thought like a million people would come and swamp them and just camp in their <laughs> in their Wi-Fi, you know, kind of looking to do what I was trying to do. But um, anyway, it's weird. So I found this one Starbucks that has its internet, but it's no, it's not open. So um, I'm my power is kind of limited to my whatever my laptop holds out for here. So you're literally sitting outside a closed Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So, um, and the, oh, and the traffic lights are weird too. There's no power to the traffic lights. And, and some of the traffic lights work, so some of them don't. So, you know, you drive along on a pretty fast street with traffic lights. You're like, okay, I, green's up there. I'll just keep cruising. But if there's no traffic lights, you stop at every intersection just to, like, be sure. Because, you, you know, sure. it's a stop sign situation. But sure. But you space out because you're like, okay, you know, I was just on a street with, like, with, power, with the traffic lights. 
No, I'm on another street. I'm driving. You know, you don't think like every intersection, do I stop or do I go at this one? So, you know, you speed through a couple intersections that you probably should have stopped at. And, you know, it's just, it's weird. Like major highways that don't have stoplights. So, you know, it's a 55, 60 mile an hour highway that crosses another pretty fast road that doesn't have any, anything. You just got to trust you know the the relationship, the social construct with the contract with the other people driving that they're going to stop. So it's pretty wild. It's also pretty wild the amount of news that we're getting about you guys. You know, I mean, all the way across the country, and uh, it's headline news on a lot of you know like local stations and stuff around here. So it's pretty big deal. Yeah, well, a lot of major stuff burned down. Stuff that's been around forever, like these. There's this place called the Hilton Round Barn. It's this really cool old round barn from like whoever, however long ago, really long. It's a you know historical building that burned down. So it's pretty wild, you know, vineyards and famous famous vintners and stuff. They're gone. It's just crazy. Whole neighborhoods burned just flat to the ground. Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's going to affect stuff like wine prices. Uh, it's probably going to affect, even if they're able to get it going again, won't that affect, I mean, everything, everything about the nuances of the wine and stuff, if the vineyards are burned that way? I mean, I'm guessing. I don't know anything about it, but. Oh, that's okay, Michelle. You can switch to Budweiser. <laughs> gluten, gluten, Mike. All right. Well, Michelle, you want to try to do this podcast for this Halt and Catch Fire? If we have to, Halt and we Catch will. Fire, that's funny. Yeah. All right, Michelle, Halt and Catch or Fire, not. West Coast Project. This is uh, Goodwill, number 408. It is. Um, I thought it kind of had a theme of people knowing what others needed and trying to get them to do what they needed to do to help them. Uh, Joe wanted Haley to share her music. He's trying to get her to share, like on the car radio. And then, of course, Boz with the chili and Joe tricked him into eating some chili. That was great. That was a really good scene. I like that one uh, a lot. What did you think of the episode overall? Um, okay. I'm really glad I had a few extra days on this to think about it. I'm a little discombobulated with it because I'm used to watching it Saturday. I watched it again Sunday. We podcast it first thing Monday, so it's been a few days. and So it's kind of marinated. The episode was... As a standalone, uh, of course it couldn't, but if it could, it's great. It was touching and just so real and deep on so many levels. Considering that it's two episodes out of the series finale, it just pisses me off so bad. I can't even get beyond it to enjoy it. So... I'm glad I had the extra days to realize how much I really did like the episode as a standalone. Well, what changed in a couple days? Because I'm just so, I didn't even want to watch it a second time. Okay. I didn't know any of this stuff was going on with you Sunday yet. And, um, so I was watching it the second time and I, I was ridiculously, uh, like, irritated that I had to watch this again. It's kind of like what we talked about last time. It's, I feel like they're doing this emotional pull. I feel like, you know, I mean, I would watch it anyway, but, but I have to watch it. We podcast it. And I just feel like 
they've taken this and like turned it into this emotional thing where they're like taking our nerves over this and just like wringing them out. And I resent it here at the end of this series. If, if this had happened a year ago, or if we had another year, Halt and Catch Fire, I would, I would just be just, just loving this, not Gordon dying, but loving all the feelings and all the emotions and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that this is the end, it feels, I feel cheated. Well, what do you expect him to be doing? Putting the final screws into the server that, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a personality and personal experience and they're using Gordon as a way to show how these people are affected by it. And he's the vehicle that transports these, these scenes together that I think they're, I think it's a really smart way to do it. Yeah. I, I, I we'll just have to disagree because. Well, what would you th- do different? What would you have them working on? That would be a better way to finalize everything. I want something wrapped up, not just in the personal lives of these people, which I think is a, at least 50% of the show, maybe more. No, it's like 90%. No, no, I don't think so. Because if they put this episode on and we didn't get like the work or, or this series on and we didn't get the work stuff in the background and, and the, the natural fluid movement of it, that's what makes it interesting to me. It's not necessarily these people's lives, which are really great, and I'm glad we get to see that. But it's just like they dropped the rest of it. Yeah, but you did, but you have all that history. That is that is what I mean. If this was the pilot, it would be a mess. But it's not. It's the end of the, all the other stuff that we know about. I told you. I told you they were going to do this. I knew they were. As soon as Gordon died, I knew that the rest of it was going to be about Gordon. Or I felt like it was. I didn't know it. I still don't know it. But. But it's and not you, it's not a eulogy to Gordon. It's how other people are reacting to each other. It's how other people are reacting to each other because of this loss. And I mean, of course it wasn't just gonna be the Gordon show, although it almost was. But like I said, if we had another whole year of it and we had more time to like really wrap up everything, I would love this. But the fact that we don't and and I don't know. So you'd rather see like the ink on an AOL instant messenger contract being signed by Joe and uh, or whatever. That's that, not right? fair. I never wanted to see stuff like that, but I want to see these characters kind of, you know, resolve. I want to see them come to, to their, Look, there, there's got to be something about what we've stayed with them for. We didn't care anything about Gordon and Donna and Cameron and Joe and Boz and everybody. When it first started, we cared about the progression of uh, laptop computers, small computer you could carry with you, and, and then chat rooms and games and how games went from being on a disc to being, you know. Mm, I cared I about know. Gordon and Joe. I cared about Gordon and Joe staying up all night. Like, could I do that? Stay up all night and get all that code and, you know, 15,000 lines of IBM DOS code of or whatever. Course. That was the people. Of, that was interesting to me in that pilot. 
Of course. Well, yeah, but but yeah, but it was the thing they were doing. It wasn't them. It could have been anybody at that point. And I don't like how they got us to love Gordon and then kind of, you know, I, I just, I'm unhappy. All right, Michelle, it starts, it's 1976 or 77, somewhere thereabouts. It's like July. 76. It's the 4th of July on the Bicentennial. All right, so Donna and Gordon are in their apartment in California, and Joni's just a little baby. Yep. And she's just been put to sleep by Donna while Gordon's sneaking sips of beer from his fridge. Yep. What do you think of Gordon being the alcoholic then and Donna's the alcoholic now? <laughs> um I didn't really see him necessarily as an alcoholic, but yeah, he was definitely kind of escaping uh the hard stuff. So they like. the parents we find out from their conversation that and they're very they're very um compatible they're very they're getting along super well and they're kind of laughing at first about their situation and parents wanting them to move to texas Um, and they're living in san francisco i don't think we knew that did we uh i don't know if we knew that or not we somehow i know that now how do i know that okay yeah well they said it in this one but that was pretty cool i don't know I, i i don't remember that we may have known it before but i didn't remember it uh gordon shows off his new electric knife carving knife I thought he's going to yeah. saw off his fingers doing that. He's, been, yeah, he's he... been so close to the edge of, like, getting electrocuted or cutting off a finger. Uh, but, nope, it's just the electric knife as a gift that he takes as being incompetent by his father-in-law. Um, and Donna complains about her mother. Sweet Annette O'Toole, man. Remember Annette O'Toole being the Chardonnay-sipping mom from other Absolutely. episodes? Absolutely, yeah. So she has become her mom, essentially. She doesn't want to be, but... Now she kind of is. Um, and they envision building their machine, the symphony. Um, but Donna sees a trapped future in her motherhood, kind of like a, a, it's almost like a Cameron played out to the nth degree. Like this is why Cameron doesn't want to be a mom because she doesn't want the responsibility of having the children and being tied down, and not being free to do whatever she wants. I think Donna's showing evidence of the, of the other end, the other side of this. Yeah, and I think Donna, um, we have to understand how quickly all this has happened, too. They kind of tell us that she got pregnant, and then they got married, and Joni's just like three months old. So not a lot of time has passed for her. So this all dissolves into an argument as Cameron, or as uh, Gordon realizes that Donna's considering this move, this accepting the offer to move back to Texas. And then yeah, they offered to buy him a house. Joni starts crying again, and she just says, well, I guess I'll get her. And she goes and slams the door, and Gordon's left to go out on his journey. Well, Gordon says, you know, I'll do more. I'll help more. I, you know, I won't just hand her over to you. And then she starts crying, and Donna stands there, and he stands there. So, you know, he's, he's, he's not going to step up to do anything. And, of course, we find out, you know, later that they're, they are, like, back in Texas. It's good that they make Gordon not this saintly being now that's died and he's remembered as this peaceful, calm, getting along with everyone, perfect being. That he was an ass back then. He was selfish and he was thinking of himself before other people. Just selfish. I mean, it's good that he's well-rounded like that. I like that they showed showed him like that. His I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he leaves and goes off into the night. Um also, Donna checked the clock later that night, and it was 4.07, so that was the episode Gordon died in, episode 4.07. Uh, 
Oh, that's good. Or I didn't catch that. Morning. That's mm-hmm. like from Sep and Wall, I think. So, uh, Up Rocks, if you want to read Sep and Wall. Um, so, Gordon's gone, and Donna's just trying to figure out what to do with the baby. And um, now she has the same job. She's got to figure out what to do with Joni. She's trying to pass her off to Cameron, like, hey, if you're looking for a teenager, I've got one for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interesting parallel there. But she's trying to hold everything together, and now she's kind of doing the same. I took it, too, like a child never appreciates what a parent does for them. And I've never had kids. I'm an uncle a few times over. But just how Joni was so mean to Donna later on, and just all the things Donna was doing to soothe Joni when she was just a little baby, just that kind of struck a note with me. Well, right, to soothe and also, you know, the sacrifice that they made because they were in San Francisco. They wanted to be there, which is where the technology was. And, you know, because of Joni, because Donna couldn't do anything, they moved back to Texas. So Donna could actually, you know, have some help with stuff and, and the sacrifice that, that they made for that. You're right, and Joni... But kids, it's it's not just Joni. I mean, no kid would know, and any kid would tell you probably. Well, I didn't ask you to make that sacrifice, you know. But, um, but 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 you're right. That was interesting. So then they show Gordon's start of his Odyssey. Anyway, he goes to a gas station and drives around, and it it looked like he was at some crossroads gas station, which was also very interesting. That he was in sort of a crossroads in his life. Like a truck went one way and he went the other way and some other car went another way. It was kind of a crossroads that was interesting, I thought. Well, yeah, and he's, you know, he's standing there eating and then he's staring at what I think is the payphone where he's going to go call Donna. And he walks toward it when the guy gets off the phone, but he's just just to throw away the wrapper. It's like it's like all of this um, symbolism of something that you think he's going to do, but he ends up doing something else. Yeah, crossroads, like decisions. Like, mm, mm-hmm. I'll call her, I'll check in. No, I'm going to go and do what I do. Right. So that was right up to the credits. We come back and Cameron and Joe are over at Donna's, or at Gordon's, I guess, but with Donna and the kids to pack up, essentially pack up Gordon's life. Yeah. Um, did you like the storytelling technique, Michelle? I guess you kind of didn't, but it was like looking through the photos and remembering the old stuff. You, you, What did you think of that? No, I mean, I did. Like I said, the, the the episode was, you know, good. It was, they were very inefficient with their packing up, but I guess I can see that as well. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I thought that was fine. And I think that that's probably what you would do, right? Yeah. Don't you think that was kind of a point that it's hard to pack? Like it's okay. Decide what to keep red, decide or what to keep is green, what not to keep is red. She tried to make a process out of it, but it was really hard. Like it would be, it's hard to, what do you keep? What do you pack up and give away forever? Throw away of a person's life. Right. And then people made the analogies like, can you pack up, can you put what the internet and the computer world all represents into a box, like a computer box, just like Gordon's life in a box. That was kind of an interesting parallel, I thought. Hmm. Okay. But um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it was the eulogy for Gordon. I thought it was just a way to develop more of the remaining characters that they wouldn't have been able to do had they not had this dramatic effect from Gordon being gone. I guess, but I mean, I'm not seeing like a lot of development. I'm just seeing a lot of grief and people say things and do things and feel things that don't necessarily, I mean, it may shape you, I guess, but, but it's not necessarily who you are or 
what you're going to feel in the long term uh, to have this kind of short term grief. I mean, not short term, of course, but you know what I mean? This, as you're swimming in this, you can't necessarily be held responsible. It's not necessarily a, like a reflection of the whole rest of your life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I think they used it to tie some threads together that I think are true now that I maybe wasn't so sure of before. Like, I think Donna and Cameron are closer than Donna and Gordon ever were. And I think Joe and Gordon are closer than ever than Donna and Gordon were ever were. I think they showed that, 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 that Joe is just super grieving. He doesn't even, we haven't even seen what Joe's going to do to process his grief. He's stifling it down. Uh, but Donna and Cameron are really bonding again. They're really showing their friendship again because of this. So, you know, I don't, I think, I think the relationships are Donna and Cameron and Joe and Gordon <laughs> more than Donna and Gordon. I don't know. I kind of took that from it. Okay. So um, more photos. Cameron finds some and stuffs them in her back pocket and kind of hides them, steals them essentially, I guess. Um, Donna, Donna asked her to play some music, Michelle, and I've owned every album that I saw that she flipped through, even though it was like <laughs> three albums. <laughs> it was Marshall Tucker Band, Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which was the soundtrack to um, The Exorcist. Oh, okay. And yeah. Dire Straits. That Dire Straits album was awesome. That's the album that was the money for nothing yeah, animation sure. on MTV. That was like the first really interesting, cool, high impact MTV video. That um, song was played and played and played and played and played. Yeah, I remember. So that song was on the album. They played a different song, the So Far Away one, but that was that album. Um, and then so we cut we cut back and forth. Donna trashes the electric knife, the carving knife, like it's nothing. She's throwing it in a bag like, oh, well, this damn thing. Do, did you take any meaning from that knife? Um, I just thought it was no, no, nothing specifically. The fact that Gordon, but isn't it interesting that Gordon was complaining about it, that he felt like it was like an insult from his father-in-law, and then he kept it all those years. Yeah, and then she gets rid of it without any even a, even a second thought. Like, hmm, I remember that. You know, like just right. like throwing it in the bag. Right. Interesting. So the song So Far Away plays while they're doing all this. Um, Joe's folding Gordon's shirts. Donna's kind of doing the kitchen stuff, like we said, and Cameron's doing the electronics. Um, the book Joe found in Gordon's pocket is going through those shirts is Larry McMurtry's Streets of Laredo which is oh, from okay. the Lonesome Dove. So it's uh -huh. interesting that it's a Texas, book about Texas. Um, so Gordon was fascinated with Texas or some Texas connection. But it's interesting that they picked that book out of all the books in the world they could, you know, the Rogers and Cantwell could have picked in their storytelling here. Well, and it was also interesting. I felt like that uh, they they made a big deal out, out of the marker in the book, like it was, you know, halfway uh, halfway read or something. And I just thought it was, I felt like that was what impacted Gordon, or not Gordon, Joe a lot, uh, was, you know, Gordon didn't get to finish this. Yeah, that's a great point. Out of all the things he's working on, it was a reminder that there are many that he's not ever going to finish. Right. By the way, this was directed by Christopher Cantwell, one of the one of the storytellers, one of the showrunners. So I don't think he's done, he's done one other one, but they don't typically direct. They, um. 
they're the creators. Right. I thought it was right. great, though. I, I really liked this episode. I thought it was directed and put together really well. All right. So um, after the book, Haley's sitting in a room and Donna comes in to comfort her. And um, that's about all. Just really quick. Then she, then Joni looking at the pictures in her room. Donna comes in to comfort her. This is where she finds the college entry applications that are not sent. <laughs> right. And starts the argument. Right. Yeah. So. And it was funny, though, because, I mean, they're like, they're there to clean this house out. And Donna's made an a very specific point of, I don't want to have to come back over here. People are going to be coming in and moving out. Let's go in. Let's get this done. I know it's hard. I love you. Let's do this. And the girls kind of go in the room and sit down. Yeah. And that's all we see. That's all we see Joni do. She doesn't do anything. She just lays around the whole time she's there. Right. Well, but that's what, I mean, that's what we want to see, right? You don't want to see her packing her socks. No, but I want to see her, I don't know, I want to see her doing something. It, it it just feels so defiant to me. Everything about Joni feels so defiant. But. Well, Joni is, Joni's afraid of failing in front of her mom and the world, I think. She has no, she's very low in self-confidence. That's why she's such a rebel and, she, you know, she's, she's like reaching out. She's She has no self-confidence. She's afraid of failing. She's like, I'll never get into these colleges anyway. Why bother applying? Yeah, I, yeah, yes, I do think it's that, and I also think that she just doesn't have any idea yet what she wants to do. She seems kind of lost and drifting. Well, that's what a person like that would be like. Like, I don't want to try anything because I'm probably going to fail at it. You know, I'll just, I'll just push, I'll kick the can down the road and figure something out later. Making a decision means I'm putting a line in the sand that I have to actually accomplish or try and take a chance at something. Right. I think she's afraid of that. So they have a fight. Everyone hears it. And uh, Joni puts blurts out, let's let everyone know what a mess we really are. And Donna uses kind of a dirty trick and says, well, Gordon would be devastated if he heard you say that. And you know, they're fighting pretty meanly to each other here. Joni says, good, well, good thing he's not here then. So, and you couldn't even stand him. You left him. Pretty brutal stuff in front of everybody. Yeah, it really, really was. I mean, saying those kind of things. And Cameron says it later to Joni. She's like, don't say things you can't take back. It's something silly where Joni said something about Donna. And, um... And it was nothing. And Cameron says, don't say things you can't take back. And it was a joke. But here, I think it's kind of, (laughs) she was probably kind of saying it about the things they're saying here. Yeah, that's like almost the next scene. And Cameron and Donna cross paths. And Donna's like, I smell, I think I smell cigarette smoke. She's ready to rip into Joni for that. And Cameron just gives her the 17-year-old reminiscence advice like i remember when i was 17 and this is why i think she's doing that and then she right. she offers to go talk to her and joni or joni gladly agrees to let her do that um donna or donna yeah and joni joni and cameron share that cigarette that was pretty cool scene like don't be a dick you're being a dick i was a dick it's a bad thing to be don't be it and then she takes the cigarette shares it a little bit with her and then takes it away from her yeah, yeah, that was like her thing was let's share it, and then she took it from her. So that I like that about Cameron because it was like she completely manipulated that situation, like you 
would have to and should with a kid who's doing something they shouldn't be doing. But I just thought she handled it great. And I was surprised. Yeah, it was the growth of Cameron. She was the relating. I used to be 17. I remember what it was like. It, it's hard and it's not good. And I'm going to stop you from doing I'll I'll team up with you for a second. But now I'm going to stop you right. from this destructive thing you're doing. Right, right. All right, so Joe comes home, and he crosses Donna's path, and he says, Where's every, where is everyone? <laughs> and she just says, they're everywhere but near me. They're just scattered and avoiding me. And uh, Haley comes out and reveals she wants the sweater. What did you think of this whole sweater thing, Michelle? It really rang true to me. Uh I don't know. The whole, everything about that. I thought was perfect. I completely believed that Haley was thinking about a sweater she wanted to keep from her dad. I completely believed that Haley would go, okay, never mind, I'm sorry, and kind of turn around. And I completely believed that Joe, in his grief, wants to do anything he can for these girls to help lessen their grief. So he's like, no, we'll go get it. And then I loved how that ended up being. I just thought, I thought it was great. Yeah, Joe's kind of the fixer. He does the mail. Oh, let's fix it. Let's take action and sure let's fix it Mm -hmm. right (laughs) and it was also time for them to bond so it was a good dramatic storytelling device to get them alone to bond a little bit right which i think they're going to really do in this final two joe joe is the queer semi-bisexual that joni that uh haley's going to need to relate and feel some connection to somebody right anyway so they do that um while they're away, Cameron tells of her mom's alcoholism to Joni, and they're back with Cameron and Joni. And Joni wants to live with her and essentially <laughs> be her child, <laughs> which was interesting. I'll move in with you, and I'll put my trailer next to yours, and we'll live there, and we'll be. And Cameron just totally pushes back against this. Uh, she doesn't say she doesn't want children in general, but she does really push back. And this is really kind of a hard thing, I think, for Joni to see. This rejection, too. But, it, I mean, Cameron has to do this, right? Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I didn't necessarily see her want a mother. I think she kind of looks at Cameron as a friend, and she wants to move out there with her. Yeah, Cameron absolutely did the right thing. All right, so now Joe and Haley are on this mission, and she plays that song for him. What do you think of that song, Michelle? I had never heard of that song before, but I I did look it up. Um, that was so. I don't think it was what Joe was expecting. Oh no! At all. Of course not. Not what anybody would be expecting. No, and I I thought it was like a little kid song at first, right? Yeah, I remember it from when it was on. It wasn't very popular, but Barnes and Barnes, Fishheads. It was. I remember hearing it when it was on. Um, did you listen to it? On, the, um, on YouTube or something? A couple of, couple of probably half of it. <laughs> yeah, it was like craziness. All right. So um, I thought that was Joe bonding with Haley. Like, you don't have to be secretive and play your music. You can, you know, be whatever, whatever you're listening to. I want to hear it on the car radio. Like, like, don't be afraid to take up space in the world. You know, be right. Right. And, and whatever you like is good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So have confidence. So here's Joe giving this to Haley and Cameron's giving it to 
Joni. Right. Um, which they wouldn't have had really probably a chance to if Gordon was still around. So I think it's not just, oh, Gordon, Gordon, Gordon. I think it's these relationships are flourishing that we're getting a better chance to see because of the passing of Gordon. Anyway, um, Donna and Cameron are packing up more kitchen crap. They talk about how junk passes through generations. And uh, this is where Donna tells her, Cameron tells Donna that she's finished the game. Or Donna tells Cameron she's finished the game. Yeah, that means a lot to Cameron, too, you can tell. So, Michelle, I was wrong about this game. I had it backwards. The pilgrim doesn't hug a child. The pilgrim is the child being hugged by a mother. Right. It was like the kid finding her way home. Right. Yeah, pretty cool. That's the secret. That's Cameron's secret that nobody in the game could figure out. She's, And that's her secret in life, I think. I think. Here's my reading into it. But she's still a child. She's She's been abandoned by both of her parents. Her dad passed away and her mom was this distant alcoholic. And now she doesn't want children of her own, maybe because of that. And she, I think she wants to be kind of taken care of by by somebody. She wants to be protected and taken care of. You know, it's kind of been hinted at maybe Bosworth um, or maybe Gordon. But it's interesting to see that this is how I think she's thinking. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But she thinks of herself as a child in the world. She's just looking for a home to a hug and a home to go home to. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely see that. All right. So at Goodwill, that's our name game and probably just Goodwill of people being good to each other. But good, it was a Goodwill store. Uh, Haley and Joe have a pretty ridiculous encounter with this Goodwill guy, Michelle. First of all, <laughs> it's it's freaking crazy that the guy doesn't just relent. All right. I understand your, your friend passed away. Go ahead. Look through your crap. I know you just dropped it off. It's not even like five days ago. And by, uh, I mean, do they have trouble with people coming in trying to steal stuff from Goodwill? I mean, going through the yeah. back. I mean, oh, okay, so that doesn't work. So elevate it. So it's, why doesn't Joe just elevate it like, fuck you, pal, and just steamroll him and go pick up the bag and walk right calmly past him? Or he doesn't just say, all right, I'll buy it back. What do you want for it? A hundred bucks? You know, he could get this. He could calmly look through all that shit and get the sweater. Right. It's a dumb plan to have Haley be the getaway driver. And (laughs) I guess it's a good scene to see them bond. And it's Lee Pace and Susanna Skaggs, who is Haley, have a great, great chemistry. So it is fun to watch that. They laugh and they kind of get some relief from this grief of, of the past couple days. But kind of a dumb kind of a dumb premise i thought maybe but also i think gives haley a job it gives haley haley is important in that haley is the driver she's the getaway so she takes like some ownership in this which was silly i guess but considering that you know i mean i guess if you want to get get serious about it they were robbing the place but um yeah, that's know, a good it, point. I didn't think of that. She's a shitty driver, though. She ran over the curb. <laughs> she was pretty fast, though. I mean, she peeled off, so. All right, now Katie shows up. She's on her way to Seattle. She can't take it. She encounters Cameron. Uh, and she never says goodbye to Joe, interesting, by the way. That was that was striking to me. But there's just too much Gordon everywhere for her at comet and in the town and at the house and everything and she just 
I don't know. Katie had a whirlwind presence in this series, and it's only two or three or four episodes. She gets a lot of drama. She works. She does. She does her little spot appearance and gets the most of it. I never yeah. cared for her too much, but I think she did kind of a whirlwind presence in this. I thought it was good. I mean, I thought she was good and I thought she was believable. And I see her as like this, you know, this woman feels like she has met somebody. I mean, she even has this conversation with Donna about it. You know, she really, really, really liked Gordon. Yeah. So. A little awkwardness there. Donna gives her the picture, the Gordon of her, Gordon and her picture from the fridge. Mm-hmm. And Katie says, here's a little bit TMI for me here, Michelle. We had a lot of fun. Gordon was up for anything. I sh- I'm sure you know what I mean. <laughs> what the hell? Do you really say that to the ex-wife? I couldn't imagine it. And Donna was looking at her like, okay. You know, but, but I thought what was so kind of interesting about that, that statement was, I don't know that Donna saw Gordon like that. You know, I don't know that Donna saw Gordon as this guy who was up for anything, particularly not in the later years, right? Gordon was the guy who hid in the closet and talked on the ham radio. And he was a different person now with Katie. I mean, he's like, you know, I'm going to miss that. He's up for anything. I don't have to tell you that. And it was like, okay. And then she talks about, you know, the mustache Gordon, I mean, not the mustache, the sideburn Gordon. And, uh, yeah, that's I think a great she was... point. It's interesting you say that because Donna probably doesn't realize that anymore about Gordon or maybe ever. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you're probably right. And But then Katie dis- sees, a, sees an old photo of Gordon where he has the sideburns, and she didn't know that Gordon and realized she would have never – she wanted to own 100 percent of him, but she'll, she'll never have owned that part of his life that he shared with Donna. Right. So they're almost like jealous of each other's – little cuts of life that they got from Gordon. Right. Right. And the kind of, I think it was showing how people evolve and, and how Katie would have loved to have known sideburns, Gordon and Donna look kind of, uh, you know, jealous of not knowing up for anything, Gordon. I don't know. I, th- I thought that was pretty – I liked that. I liked that whole scene. Did this episode elicit any tears from you, Michelle? No. I was I was too mad. No, that's why – that makes me that makes me shocked. I, I thought it would, like, have worked you over, and that's why you're mad because, like, you're – Well, maybe, but I was too uh, – that's, that's a great point, by the way. I told you after the last episode that I cried, you know, literally for three days. I cried. I would be sitting around thinking about it, or I'd, be t- I'd start talking about it with Mike, and I'd – I tear up and I would, you know, say, I just can't believe they did that. You know, and I would be like upset. But so I guess I went into this with like, it's, it, it's easier, less painful to be angry than it is to be hurt. And so I just chose anger this time. Well, to me, this one was more emo- emotional emotion in influencing than the last one. Sure. And like yeah. right now, she, Katie, after all this, she says, God damn, Gordon, like, what, how could you, how could you do this? That was pretty close to like breakdown time for me. Like, wow, that's like really deep shit. Like she, you could see the pain in her as an actor. I mean, that was just, she did a great job. It was just a great, it was just a great scene. I agree. All right, so now Donna and Cameron briefly again. She says Joe was so good with the girls, talking about Joe. And 
I mean, I remember Joe in that scene where he went and we talked about this last time. I think he caught the lightning or something or threw the lightning up in the air or did something with when the kids were little. Protected them. Oh, by yeah. Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. He, he shined the flashlight to keep something away or something. That's what right. he did. Yeah. Right. Um, so Katie's walked by the pot, part of the house where she found Gordon and she just freaks out and leaves. Um, and then this was interesting. When she leaves, she's sitting in her car. Her car's covered by raindrops, almost like tears. And no other car is wet. The ground is dry. The sun is out. <laughs> and her car is covered in rain. That was a really interesting choice by the producers to do this director. To I didn't this. even notice that. Good, it, good catch. It was like tears were all over her car. And she had to look through the windshield of raindrops to wave mm-hmm. to Haley. She couldn't even get out and say goodbye to Haley. Too much, too hot, too emotional. She just waves to her. Right. And Joe, too. Right. She never said goodbye to Joe. Right. So, and then she's gone. She drives away and she's gone. Yep. Pretty crazy. All right. Now, Haley and Joni, this was kind of heartwarming. They talk a little bit. And then Haley asks her about college. And this is where Joni says she's afraid of failing. I think of, of failing at college. I wouldn't get in anyway. Um, well, yeah, I don't think she was going to get in. I think she knew she wasn't going to get in. I don't think it was like a fear of failure. I think it was a waste of time. And she realized that that's how I took it. So Joni tells Haley that you are what mom and dad wanted in every way. And and Haley says, not every way. Yeah. And Joni accepts that. Like Joni knew, um, they, they have talked about all this as far as that goes. We haven't, that I can recall seen seen anything about Donna knowing about this, you know, Gordon talked to her about Haley cutting her hair. Yeah. Um, I thought in, it was in a way was, I could believe that even though they haven't shown it to us that Haley, the first person she would have told would be Joni or somehow connected to about this would have been Joni, even if they didn't make a point to show it in a scene. Sure. Or maybe not even had to tell her. Yeah. You know, I mean, people don't tell people, you know, necessarily like, I mean, I, I, I never, when I was younger, told my sister, uh, like guys, you know, I mean, she knew. So maybe she just didn't have to tell her. That's a good point. So one of them says to the other, you aren't going to go away too, are you? I think it's... Haley yeah. says that too, Joni. Yeah. yeah, so that was kind of touching. Yeah. All right, so Bosch shows up and fires up his chili, and he tries to relate to Joe about Gordon and a story of him at Cardiff. But Joe's not ready to hear it, just says, I'm not ready to hear this yet. I'm not ready for you to put Gordon in the box and pack him away in a memory and a cute little anecdotal story. Right. Which I think was right. powerful. He, I did too. I did too. Boz was being Boz. He was telling his, remember his big bear story. He told the whole series long. So he's trying to now be that Boz because that's the comforting Boz and the Boz we know and the Boz who can make people laugh. And it wasn't working. It didn't. It, yeah. Let they're me, let they're me not ready for that. this problem into a bite-sized morsel that you can a, you know, process. And Joe's right. like, no, you're not going to be able to do that with Gordon. And I'm not ready to hear you try. 
Right, right. But Joe go, does get nourished by Boz because he makes him, tricks him into the chili, and Joe's like, yeah, all right, hey, it's pretty good. And he does, and he is hungry. So he's he's in that catatonic kind of grieving state where you don't really know what the hell to do, and you just fumble around. Right. So that right. was very powerful, I think, of Boz and Joe to show. I mean, these guys are good writers, man. They better come up with another project or show that helps helps them get back in front of us. I completely, completely agree. I lo- that was probably my favorite scene in the whole thing because Boz had the way, you know, Joe didn't want to eat, and you can certainly understand that, but Boz made Joe feel like he had to do it to do a favor to the girls. And yeah, so, of course, him. he's going to do it right. Of course, he's going to do anything for the girls. And so he eats because of that. And I just I, I thought it was brilliant writing, brilliant on Boz, brilliant. I, I loved everything about that. So next scene is the really kind of the pivotal scene of the whole episode. It's Donna and Cameron interacting again, this time outside with Gordon's decorated little deck there with the trellis lights. Yep. And Cameron relates about Gordon. And tells Donna, "It's this is all too much. It's too hard. It's almost child, childish, childlike." Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of echoes that Cameron uses with Gordon that are echoes of Cameron and Donna. So I think that was the vehicle here that Gordon was providing for them. So I lost a really good friend. I don't have many of those to spare. Um, they talk about Gordon and the loss and regret. Regret out. I don't know. This the their friendship merges with the undercurrent of the topic they're t- they're tiptoeing around here. That they miss each other. Really, they miss Gordon. He's gone, but they're both able to still miss each other and hopefully reconnect somehow. Well, that yeah, absolutely. Also, the fact that I think I I know for me as I got older, you realize I realize that you know you don't have that many friend friends and. You know, you have people that are friendly and you're friendly with and whatever, but friends are a true treasure. And I think they kind of point that out here, that even though they've gotten angry and went their separate ways, that that's this 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 loss of one of them points out the value of that. Yeah, they speak in code a little bit here until the very end, and that makes the very end really powerful, but... They they speak in code that says essentially what you just said. Like um, Cameron says, she made pilgrim um, for people like Donna. Except that there aren't a lot of people like there aren't, there aren't a lot of people that get it. So there aren't a lot of people like you. Right. Like it's like saying there's nobody like quite like you in my life. Donna. Exactly. So I don't know. I didn't say that very well, but that's that's the message I think. And exactly. Cameron's mm-hmm. able to share with Joe that she doesn't want kids and Joe does and that Donna always has. And they, she kind of tries to make a difference between them like that. We're different because you always did want that. But but they define themselves in their differences here. And then they then they bond again at the end, which is really cool. When um, she says, I miss him. Don, uh, Cameron says, I miss him. I, I miss you. And then Donna says, I miss you, too. Oh, she says, I miss him, meaning you. I, that's my code again. She doesn't actually say it. And Donna says, I miss you too. And Cameron says, well, I'm here. Right. So, this is right. a beautiful scene. I, I, again, I don't think it's a eulogy for 
Gordon, but it's a setup for their expression to one another. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes. Yeah. The interactions are raw and I agree with that. I just, like I said, I mean, I, I can't knock the scene. I can't, I can't knock the episode. I only knock the timing of it. So. All right. So they have their meal, the big family meal of Boz's chili. The girls laughingly come down. So they're kind of healed a little bit from whatever bonding they did. Uh, Donna refuses wine. Interesting. Yes, she does. She mm-hmm. hasn't. She was drinking wine during that game, though, last episode. So that this her whole thing is pretty interesting. But they're, I know. they're yeah. the family, the family setting here. And then Joe, we see that Joe's not done. We're not done seeing Joe's grief. Joe's not laughing like the girls. We've resolved this and we're kind of healed a little bit. Joe is like going lower and lower. Um, he just blurts out that he's sorry about the sweater and he's just ready to crack. He he doesn't crack though. He hasn't expressed his grief really yet. Um, yeah, and, and I was thinking about that though. We've seen Joe almost this whole, you know, Joe with Joe with his power and Joe with his money and Joe without anything and and Joe, you know, being married to the other girl and Joe coming back from that. All of Joe has almost I don't know if he's envied Gordon but he has chased Gordon. He's wanted Gordon. Remember he offered him like all of that, uh, that business that, uh, can't think of it. The computer virus business. Yeah. Um, he just wanted to work with Gordon. Once he worked with Gordon, it just feels like that's what he wanted to do the whole time. He wanted to he 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 played father to uh, Gordon's kids uh, with the flashlight thing that we we're talking about from the very beginning. He's playing father with them now, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean he's trying to take over anything, but he just always kind of seemed like he wanted a piece of this. And now Gordon is gone, and of course it's hard on everybody else, but it's like almost like Joe's beacon is gone. And where yeah, you... they've stripped away all the premise that anything other than those two sets of people, Cameron and Donna and Joe and Gordon, were the two most important people to each other in those two individual couples, more than Donna and Gordon. <laughs> I got to believe that after seeing this episode. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure because they showed everything all the way back. I'm not sure about that, but but certainly the Joe, the the Joe and Gordon thing, it, it it got me. And just now when I was sitting here saying this to you, I was trying to keep my voice from breaking. That kills me. That Joe and Gordon are separated. Yeah. That Joe is, uh, alone. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he needs, he's the pilgrim now. All right, so the camera pans after this dinner from the dinner room to the Gordon's empty workspace desk and chair. That was pretty cool. And then they go to Jordan's journey. The final journey is revealed um, back flashbackish, and I think more so than flashbackish, it was Gordon's actual last thoughts because they show that lens flare. So it's revealed that while well, Donna's on the phone with her mom, she's talking back in whatever again, 1976. 
And the lens flare kind of shows that this was Gordon's final life thoughts, I think, that he's at the quarry. Uh, and I think, Michelle, he's driving a Mercury Comet. I think I, tr- I tried to read the name of the model of the car he was driving, and I think it was Comet. Oh, that's cool. That's really, really cool. I think really cool. so. I tried to stop and zoom in, but I couldn't get it. Are you crying? No. <laughs> I have an excuse. There's ash in the air everywhere. Um, but the, but I think it's a Mercury Comet. But anyway, he gets to the quarry and he dives in unafraid this time. I think this is his memory. I don't think this really happened. I think this is his final thought as he as he had the stroke. Oh, my gosh. I did not catch that. But I think you're right. Because that was probably the place that Donna said he didn't jump in. Yeah, that's what she that did Remember that she cartwheeled in. Right. Oh, my. I, I, I didn't catch a bit of that. That's like, now I'm unafraid. I'm unafraid to pass through to the next whatever. And he Unbelievable. I even asked Mike, I said, why are they showing us, showing him jumping in this water? I don't get this. And he's like, I don't know. Well, the lens flare. Yeah, that is, I thought it was morning sunlight. <laughs> I really did. I did not get that. That's great. Okay, I well, love plus that. Plus, when he comes up to the surface, it's like heaven. It's there's like heavenly mist. It's a beautiful scene. Right. It's like beautiful water. What, passing through water and rain is always transitional in storytelling. So it's like he's like dove, essentially dove into heaven. <laughs> um, and then back home with Donna and Joni. Uh, as a little girl and his wife, he promises to ne- never leave them again. So, I mean, kind of cool. His last thought, he was with them in his last thoughts, and he essentially was with them. You know, he didn't think of Katie. He thought of them. I, I don't know. I thought that was, I thought that was a nice bow on top of his life, and we got to see his final thoughts. And um, well, and. Yeah, and also when he comes in and uh, Donna turns around, that was kind of what they showed us in the last one where she's holding the baby, remember? And she turns around and, um, yeah. That's, that's what I mean. That's what he literally, I think he's thinking that. And her, right, right, and her humming that song again and all that, yeah. Yeah, so that was the end. Yep. So uh, next on, Michelle, did you watch him? No. I watched him, but I don't have any access here in the Starbucks parking lot. But uh, somewhere in there, Joe says, or somebody says, a new comet has launched into, launched into the night. So that the, launch, the relaunch that they had on the whiteboard, Joe and Gordon. So somehow they re, redid Comet and they're launching it. Uh, so next week is those two final episodes, Search, 409, and Ten of Swords. I don't know what that means, but those both will be played together on next Saturday I don't know where I'll be, Michelle. Hopefully we'll have some power by then, but we could get back on our track with the final episode on Monday again. But no yeah. promises. Yeah, I know. Rough. All right. Well, um, thanks for hanging in there with me while we were late and everybody thinks no. we're waiting. So, um, yeah, thank you for going to so much trouble to get this done when you're, you know, everything's like spoiling as we're speaking in your refrigerator. We no, all appreciate it. No, it's already thrown it. out. I got to see if I can upload this with this Wi-Fi speed, but um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be up later today, Wednesday. Okay, good. All right, Michelle. Well, that's about all I got. My battery's running low. Okay. Uh, see you next week on Search. Okay. See you then. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>